say that to you because you are everything about you is amazing particularly your grace your grace simply amazes us that we who were lost rebellious sinful degenerate your word says the inclination of our hearts is always toward evil the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. And in the midst of all of that, even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How amazing! How incredible, how overwhelming. We worship you today, Father. You deserve all of our worship, our praise and our glory. There's none like you. There are no other gods. You are the one and only. Thank you for revealing yourself to us, thank you for showing us what you were like in the life of Jesus. For your word says, in him all the fullness of the Godhead dwelled in bodily form. We worship you today, Lord. We exalt you, we lift you up. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to share in the work that you are doing here in Sarasota and in other places around the world through the, the group of people that you've called together here. We call ourselves Community Bible Chapel. We're a part of the body of Christ. And you've called us here. Thank you for allowing us to share in your work here and around the world. And so we joyfully and graciously and hilariously and we give into your kingdom. We don't give to people. We give into your kingdom. We pray that you will give us wisdom in how to spend that money so that it will be used to expand your kingdom and not build an empire. Bless our tithes and offerings and gifts this day. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated.
Father, as we look into your word today, I pray that you will open our hearts and minds to hear what you have to say to us. I pray that your Holy Spirit will minister to each and every one of our hearts and that we will open our hearts and our minds and our ears to hear the spiritual significance of what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. We are arriving in our study on 1 Corinthians, we are arriving into that area of 1 Corinthians which um, chapters 11, 12, 13, and 14, which um, can be, if you allow it to be, controversial in some, in some ways. Uh, there, are, um, there are certain groups of people that believe certain ways and other groups of people who believe different ways. And, and, and yet I think, I think the Scripture's clear, and I, we're just going to look at what the Word says. I'm not going to try to influence you one way or the other. I, 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 don't, I just don't find that necessary with the Word. I think the Word does that job itself very well. Um, if we come into it without, without any preconceived ideas or notions, um, today we are going to be in chapter 11. And chapter 11 has Paul addresses the church in Corinth about two particular issues that there were questions about. One of them, the first issue, is is hard to preach about. I'm just going to be honest with you. It's hard to preach about. And one of the reasons that it's difficult to preach about is because there are such profound cultural differences between here in the United States today and, and what was going on in the, um, in the church in Corinth 2,000 years ago. And, and so rather than rather than getting caught up in that, I, I think that what we need to do is we need to look at what Paul is writing and, and yes, understand what he was trying to say to the church in Corinth at that time, but also try to understand how that impacts us today. I mean, I think we have to do that with, with a lot of Scripture. It doesn't mean that we, uh, that we try to explain Scripture away, and I'm certainly not going to try to do that this morning. Because the, the, the first part of this message this morning, the first part of chapter 11, has to do with, and I, the, for lack of a better word, I'm going to say the hierarchy of what God has established on the earth and in the church. Now, you may not like that word hierarchy, and, and if you don't, please forgive me. It was, the, it was the one word that came to my mind. Because there is a, there is a progression of authority that God has set up. And when we, when we step out of that progression of authority, it results in chaos because we have... We have stepped aside from what God has ordained. And that promotes chaos. It promotes disorder. Whenever you get on this particular subject, you're, there are always going to be those who will, who will rise up and who will try to say, well, this was just a cultural thing. And we'll, let's, we'll just look at that, okay? Okay. So I want to take you back to the latter part of chapter 10 just to get our thought process going. And then we'll go into this first part of chapter 11 and see what Paul is trying to tell us. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 through 33. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God even as I try to please everybody in every way. For I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. 
Okay? As long as I'm doing, the, as long as I'm following the example of Christ, then you're safe to follow me. He says. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the teachings just as I pass them on to you. Now, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, Paul writes these words to the church in Galatia. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Just as there is a an overall level ground when it comes to grace. In other words, there is not one set of grace for the Jews, one set of grace for the Gentiles, one set of grace for men, one set of grace for women, one set of grace for those who are slaves, another set of grace for those who are free. It's all the same grace. Everyone receives the same grace, no matter whether they're Jew or Greek, male or female, free or slave, they're all, they're all the same. They're all one in Christ Jesus. I put that in there because I'm sure that Paul probably said those same words to the folks in 1 Corinthians. But then he continues and he says this, Now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of the woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. So here's what he's done. He's established, he's established the hierarchy, if you will, that God has established. And, and we'll see that a little bit more in just a little bit. God is in charge. He, the, he is the head of Christ. Christ is the head of man. And man is the head of woman. I want you to understand that now, and we'll go on. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. And every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is just as though her head were shaved. If a woman does not cover her head, she should have her hair cut off, and if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut, off, cut or shaved off, she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and the glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. For this reason and because of the angels, the, uh, the woman ought to have a sign of authority on her head. <laughs> Don't you just love this passage of Scripture? Don't you just love this passage of Scripture? All right, let's talk about this for a second. If we, and we have to go back to the beginning of, the beginning of time. We have to go back to the creation. And, and at the creation, the Bible says that God created man in his own image. Okay? And then he said, it is not good for man to be alone. And we talked about this when we were a few weeks ago or a month or so ago when we were talking about human sexuality. We were talking about how God brought all the animals in and brought them to Adam, and Adam named them all, but not a suitable helper was found for Adam in all of the animal kingdom. But God was convinced that it was not good for man to be alone, so he decided to create woman. But he didn't create woman as he had created man. He created man out of, out of the dust of the ground, and breathed in him the breath of life, and the Bible says that he was made in the image of God. Now, he then took, put Adam to sleep and took a bone out of his side and out of that bone he fashioned the woman. So that is what it's talking about here and says, for man did not come from woman. In other words, Adam didn't come from a woman. He was created in the image of God out of the dust of the ground. 
The woman, however, came from man because God took the bone out of his side and fashioned this helper, this incredible creation to be a helper to him, to be someone that was at his side, that was going to, that was going to help him in all that he did, to be a, an absolute vital part of the propagation of the earth. It says, neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. She was created to be his helper, to be alongside of him. It was not good for man to be alone. God creates woman. For this reason, because of the angels, the woman ought to have a sign of authority on her head. In, in Isaiah 6, we see this. This is where Isaiah is having a vision of God on his throne. He said, I saw the Lord and he was high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphs, with each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. You see, the face of God was open and revealed. Because what did Isaiah say? He said, I've seen the Lord. <laughs> I've seen the Lord. I've seen His face. And I'm, and I'm an unclean man. I'm a man of unclean lips. But you see, the seraphs covered their faces. See? So he's saying that for this reason, because of the angels, the woman ought to have a sign of authority on her head. In other words, she should the, the sign of, of, of authority, the sign is not of her authority, but the sign of her submission to authority. And you see what I'm, what I'm trying to say here is I know that this is culturally sensitive and it's certainly politically incorrect. But it is, it is the Word of God. Now I want you to understand something here. It is when we step out from within what God has created. I said this earlier. When we step out from what God has created there is chaos. There is disorder. And I'm going to tell you something. The greatest disorder that occurred, in my opinion, the greatest disorder that occurred here was when man decided that he was a despot instead of a loving head. Are you with me on that? When man decided that he controlled the woman, when he decided that it was what I say, and, and, it, it, and instead of being the head, where it, the head is, if you read the scripture, the word head is someone who is responsible for, who nourishes. Where, who is our head? Our head is Christ. What does he do? The Bible says that the whole, the head nourishes the body. one of the greatest causes of chaos was when a man will think that he owns the woman. When he thinks that he is, he is more than what he really is. And he begins to treat the woman with disrespect, treat her as a slave, treat her as something that is under her thumb, treat her as something that she was never intended to be. You see, the man can step out of authority. A lot of people want to preach about how women step out of authority. I'm going to tell you something. The man can step out of authority too, and it'll cause just as much chaos. What is Paul trying to tell us here? Let's go on here in just a moment. In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of the thing 
Corinthians teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him, but that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. Everybody's looking at Paul. I don't know why. I see movement out of the corner of my eye, and, I don't, and I'm focused on the scripture back there, and I'm not going to say any more. <laughs> I just was looking, and I saw this hand go like this, and I did <laughs> Somebody was. Oh. <laughs> oh, I've lost it now. Does not the, oh, I'm not even going to say that again. But, if, but that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for long hair is given to her as a covering. If someone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. Listen, here's what I want us to understand. God is, our, God is the head of Christ, and Christ is the head of man. And man is the head of the woman. Now, we, go in, we can go a lot of different places in the Scripture. But I want you to understand this. I think what Paul is trying to say to us here as he's talking about whether a woman's head should be covered and, and whether a man's head should be covered and that the man, because he is the glory of God, he should not have his head covered and the woman, you know, and the whole idea here of a woman praying and prophesying, he doesn't question the idea of whether a woman prays or prophesies. Because the prophet said that, they, you know, Joel said in the last days, your, you know, I will pour out my spirit upon all men and your young women and, your, and, and others will, will prophesy. So it's not a question of whether the Spirit of God can rest upon a woman, whether or not the Spirit of God can use a woman to do good and wonderful and spiritual things. That's not in debate here. What is, what is often in debate or what Paul is trying to get across is, is that there is an orderly way of doing things. There is an orderly way that God has set up. And when we step out of that order, we have a problem. It results in chaos and disorder. Why? Because God is a God of order. We'll see that back in, in chapter 14 where Paul writes and says, God is a God of order. Everything should be done decently and in order. Why? Because God is a God of order. All you have to do is look at the creation of God. Is God not a God of order? Do you, do you know that you can, you can know when the sun is going to come up tomorrow morning? You know when the sun is going to come up. You can, if you want to Google it, you can Google sunrise for May 23rd, 2016, and it'll tell you at whatever it is, 7.15 or 6.53 or I don't know what it is, but it'll tell you that. Why do they know that? Because God is a God of order and He created things to run in order and, and, and right. God is not a God of disorder. There's no disorder in the universe. Except in the hearts of man. But the earth, the universe runs in order. Why? Because God is a God of God of order. So therefore, we as God's people who've made, been made in the image of God, women have been made in the image of man, there is an order to things. And what Paul is saying to us, we have to live within that order. We have to operate within that order. The church has to be in that order. Or there will be disorder and there will be chaos. He's not suppressing women. He's not putting his thumb and saying to women, you are less than man. People who say that are absolutely foolish. You know why? This thought just came to my mind. Thank you, Lord, for this thought. This thought just came to my mind. The idea, some will teach that women are inferior to men. That's not what he's saying here. I want you to hear this. 
God brought all of His creation in front of Adam to be named. And He said, Adam, He found no suitable helper for God or for Adam. What did God do? God took one of His ribs or one of His bones. The Bible didn't say it was a rib. He said, Take some, took a bone out of His side and He made, He fashioned the woman. Why did God do that? Because He wanted the perfect helper for man. Ladies, that'll just make you sit up straight. No, no, I'm serious. That, that ought to make you sit up straight and, and just have a little bit of, of self-esteem to know that God created you as the perfect helper for a man. Why? Because it's not good for man to be alone. Now what does that say to us as men? <laughs> Excuse my being a, let me just you darn well better respect the woman because God made her specifically to be your helper. Are you getting my drift? You see? Paul's not trying to put women down here. Paul's just saying, hey, there's an order that God's made. And when we operate in it, we operate it, and we have order. If we don't, we get chaos. And that's pretty much all I have to say about that issue. But we're not done. Because there's something else that Paul has to say in this latter part that has a tremendous amount of spiritual significance. He begins in verse 17 and he says, In the following directives I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And he said this a number of times, but in this particular instance, he is he's almost incredulous about it. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there are differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. I thought that was an interesting verse. He said, there's, there's nothing wrong with having differences among you. Because the differences will show which of you have God's approval. There's nothing wrong with having differences of opinion and coming together and talking about it and, and discussing it among each other and coming to the conclusion that one, of a, one, one was right and one was wrong. And the one who was wrong learns that it's okay to compromise. It's okay to say, man, I, I, I didn't see it that way, but I see it that way, your way now, and, and, and on we go. But the differences that were among them were causing divisions. There's a difference between having a difference of opinion and having a division that causes a schism among the people of God. Listen, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat, for as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. Now let me just explain what was happening here. We're going to look at the Lord's Supper here in just a minute because he's going to talk to us about that. But here's what was happening. The people were coming together and they, were, they would say, we're going, to have, we're going to have communion. Why? Well, the reason you have communion, and we'll see this later, is that 
As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you show the Lord's death till he come. Jesus said, as often, you know, just whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So what was happening, they were coming together, but they were combining, they were combining the Lord's Supper with another supper, with, with the main meal. And they weren't differentiating between the two. They were turning the Lord's Supper into, they were turning a sacred, spiritual moment into something that was very normal and very secular. And they did that by combining the, the two meals. I'll give you an example. On, on Good Friday, we turned this sanctuary into a dining hall. And we set up tables, and we have a food table in the back. We have a dessert table in the back. And, and then up front on the communion table, we have the communion bread and the, and the, the grape juice. And, and that is... It's there for when we have communion to celebrate the Lord's death. Imagine, if you will, that we took the communion table and set it back in the back of the sanctuary with all of the other food and with all of the desserts and everything else that you people bring in and ruin our low-carb diets. Um. Imagine that we put the Lord's table back there and it was and what it was is as you went as you go through the line and you and you get your piece of ham loaf and you get your you know your coleslaw or you get your whatever else we're we're having the the, the green bean casserole and, and then you go and you get your desserts and while you're in the midst of getting all that food together you you put a, a piece of communion bread and you put the little cup on your plate and you just go back and you just consume that as part of your meal. There's, there's, there's nothing sacred about that. There's nothing special about it. It's just a part of what you do. That's what's going on here. As a matter of fact, there, the meal would get started and there were some folks who got there early and they would begin to eat and by the time some of the poor people who had to work got off of work and were able to make it to where the feast was, the food and every, the, all the bread and the wine and everything was all done. And pe- there were some folks who were drunk. There were other people who were sitting there groaning because they'd eaten too much and some of the poor people were coming in and they didn't have anything at all. And Paul's saying, what are you doing? He said, not only are you, do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? These folks came in, didn't have anything, and they sat there and they couldn't have anything to eat because it had already been consumed. Even the bread and the wine that were used for the sacred act of remembering the crucifixion and the death of Jesus. So what am I going to do? Am I going to praise you for this? Certainly not. Now, folks, understand. I understand that we don't, we don't do that here. We, we don't have a, what they call a love feast or, or, a, or a special dinner every time we have communion. We have communion as a separate act on a Sunday morning. At our Good Friday service, we have the communion as a separate act after we eat dinner. Why? Because it is a sacred spiritual time that is not to be confused with filling our stomachs because we're hungry. It is a spiritual act of remembering the crucifixion of Jesus. And Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the very night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So we take the bread and we eat it. And it reminds us 
of the body of Jesus that bore our sins. The Bible says He bore our sins in His body on the cross. We remember that. It, bring, it causes us to recall that. In the same way, after supper, He took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this wherever you drink, whenever you drink it in remembrance of Me. It is My shed blood. It is the blood of the covenant. For whenever you, this is not part of the quote that Jesus made, this is now Paul talking, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. We are making a proclamation. We are saying Jesus died on the cross. Now, that is such a sacred act. It is such a, an important spiritual part of the lives of God's people. It is never to be taken lightly. It is never to be approached in a secular sort of way. It is never to be looked at as anything other than a, a spiritual communion with God the Father and through, with Jesus Christ for what He has done for us. And, I, and I, as I've said to you before, I, I am constantly reading the, the death and the crucifixion of Jesus. And I just finished last month. I haven't gotten to the crucifixion in the book of Luke yet this month, but I'd, last month I was reading it in the book of Mark. And it was one of those moments where you are just, you're just overwhelmed. You're just hit. Because in in the NIV, I'm reading Mark's account of Jesus in the garden. And, And the way it's worded in there, it says, and Jesus said to His disciples, Stay here and pray, and I'm going to go on ahead. And he said, the Bible says he went on ahead and he fell on his face. And this is what he said. Abba? Daddy? Everything's possible with you. Everything is possible with you. Take this cup from me. Abba, everything is possible with you. Take this cup from me, but not my will but yours be done. You cannot treat the Lord's Supper as anything other than an incredible, sacred, spiritual moment where you remember the death of Jesus. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. You cannot sit and take the bread which represents the body of Jesus which was broken for you. You cannot drink the cup that represents the blood that was shed to ratify the covenant that God has made with you. You cannot do that lightly. You cannot do that with a flip of the hair or the wave of an arm. You cannot come into that thinking that you can just do whatever you want and be whatever you want and go wherever you want and act the way you want. You cannot come into that with an air of arrogance, if you will. It is a time of utter humility. Now, I've heard people say you can't take communion if you have any unconfessed sin.
I'm not sure how you take communion, but here, I guess here's my word. What a, is there a more wonderful place to ask for forgiveness of sin than as you take the bread, which is the body of Christ, which was broken for us, and you drink the cup, which was the representative of the blood that he shed, which washes away our sin. What a better place. I think of no better place than to confess your sins and to ask the Lord for forgiveness as you remember the very acts which provided that forgiveness. But we come into his presence and we come into that with act with hearts of humility and contrite hearts. A man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. You, you, can't, you can't eat the bread and not recognize the body of the Lord and what He did for you. Because if you do that, if you just, if you just, think, if you just think it's a matter of eating the bread, if you just think, oh, this, oh isn't this cute? Oh, isn't this... This is kind of neat. We eat this little piece of bread and we drink the cup and you do not have the understanding that what you are doing is you are participating in something that's very sacred. You drink judgment on yourself. And here he says, and that is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. And he doesn't mean fallen asleep. He means they have died. So his warning here to the church in Corinth is do not take what this sacred moment and do not put it in the middle of and make it something that is very secular and very normal and very human. It is something that is so so wonderful and so spiritual and so sacred that it has to be something that is separate. And if you don't look at it that way and you still participate in it, that is kind of what you can expect because God is not going to look on it lightly. But if we judge ourselves we would not come under judgment. If we take the time to judge ourselves and to make sure that we're coming to the Lord's table with the right attitude, then we will not come under judgment because we'll take care of it before then. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. Next week, we are going to begin to talk about what it means to be the body of Christ. I don't know how long it's going to take us to get through these next few chapters, because I believe that as a, as a church, we have, to, we, have to renew, we have to renew our understanding and renew our desire to have a biblical understanding of what it means to be the body of Christ. And Paul takes a lot of time here to, to explain this and how, how, we're, how it needs to work. And we're going to look at that. So he's talking here about order. If we step out of order, we have disorder. So our desire should be to be in the order that God wants us to be. Not only as God, Christ, man, woman, but as what it means to be part of the Lord's church and the Lord's table. It is a sacred moment that should never be confused with anything else. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You for the reminder in Your Word. 
Lord, help us to discern. And, and we really need your help. We really need your spirit to help us to discern what was culturally significant to the Corinthian church. And without explaining it away, help us to understand how we today can be biblically sound in what we do and how we work and how we operate. The last thing we want to do, Lord, is become legalistic. Legalistic, legalism kills. The Spirit gives life. We want to be directed and guided and encouraged by Your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, we need You. Father, thank You for the reminder of what it means to sit at Your table and to remember the incredible sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross. We will never understand that. We can only live in its glory. Father, I pray that as we leave this place today, we first of all, we want to Remember the ministries of this church. Thank you for the opportunity to be at the Transitional Center last night. Thank you, Father, that they're going to be open for at least another two years. And we give you praise for that. We pray, Lord, we continue to lift up those ladies there that not a single one of them would ever leave there without knowing Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We thank you, Father, for prison ministry, for EE prison ministry. That opened the doors there for us to be involved. And we pray for both of those. We pray for the prison ministry that you will continue to lead, guide, and direct, and open doors for other opportunities to spread the gospel in prisons, Lord. We thank you for the ministry of Love Serves. And Father, we thank you for the churches in the Dominican Republic which are being helped by this organization. We pray for the 17 churches that are part of our denomination that could also use that help. And I pray, Lord, that the Community Bible Chapel can play a, a role in, in helping to make that happen. We thank you for the opportunity for the mission trip that is coming up. We pray for this orphanage in the Dominican Republic. Lord, I think that you are opening doors for us to become involved with these ministries and with, with these uh, needs that are there. Keep our hearts and our wallets open to expand your kingdom in a powerful way. We pray for Todd and Shelley Marks and for Chris Garris. We thank you for their being willing to leave their families and their homes to go to a different country, learn a different language, understand a different culture, all because they felt the call, your call upon their lives and they believe in their hearts that the people they've been called to deserve to hear about the resurrected Jesus. We pray for their ministry. And finally, Lord, we just thank you for the daycare that you've given us here locally, right here in this church. Thank you for the staff. Thank you for your blessings upon it. Thank you for the little lives that as, they, as we have graduation on Thursday night with these children going on to kindergarten, we thank you that they have heard during their time here, they have heard how much God loves them and how he proved it by sending Jesus. They've heard that. Thank you for the opportunity to minister to them and their families. And now, Lord, just take us from this place. I pray that you'll bless our time in the meeting that we're about to have. 
Holy Spirit, guide us and direct us in all that we do. But as we leave this building later, we just pray, Lord, that you will help us to be an example of Jesus to the world around us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Yes.